Good morning, Church. I thank God that I'm able to be on today to share from God's Word with you. And I thank God too for technology that allows so many of us to log on this morning. I'm sure some of you uh, are just maybe just a few miles down the road, but there are others who are from out of state or maybe even out of Malaysia. Welcome to our SIBKL weekend service. Indeed, we hope to have a good time sitting at the feet of uh, the, the shadow of the cross and even to listen to God's Word as it's being shared. So today, I shall be speaking to you about overcoming deception in the overcoming series that we have here at SIBKL. Before we can overcome something, we have to understand what it is, what form it takes, and how it came about. To start off, let me ask you, do you know what is the greatest deception committed ever? Ah, some of you may know, um, if you are a history buff, you will certainly know because this happened quite some time ago. Well, the greatest scam that was carried out was by Viktor Lustig. He is an expert con artist from Czechoslovakia. After having gained several years of experience from pulling off smaller scams in America, Lustig posed as an influential European royalty. And you know what he managed to sell off? The Eiffel Tower in 1935, not just once, but twice to two unsuspecting Parisian scrap metal dealers for a tidy sum of $70,000. He appealed to humankind's greed for profit and the affinity for influence. When we talk about deception, what is it actually? Simply, deception is the art of lying, misleading, misinforming, or leading astray, causing others to believe what is untrue. Commonly, it is an act foisted upon others, or vice versa. But also not uncommonly, and even more dangerously, is this act of self-deception which is a failure to admit to oneself or to realize that something is true. The Bible puts it in this way, in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Then it goes on in the next verse to say, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, within this next half hour, I hope we will be able to explore together with the Holy Spirit's guidance and see if this is true of ourselves too. And then, to have some practical handles in overcoming it. Amen? If you're excited about it, light up the chat group, get connected, tell one another that you're excited to be here and you would want to really, really sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to what He has to say through this humble servant of his. Humble servant I may be, but some of you I could almost hear you saying, hey pastor, I don't deceive others and I don't get deceived easily anyway. So what's this got to do with me? After all, wasn't Lustig just a Czech conman that died 75 years ago? No, my friends out there, it's not about a foreigner or skills in running a scam. It's about truth and untruth, about truth and lies. If these are obviously seen as they appear to be as truths and lies, then there'll be no deception. Not when things are obviously black and white. Unfortunately, today, many, many things, ideas, issues, 
perspectives are all painted in shades of grey. This is the realm of deceptions. We live in an age of relativism, where morality, truth, ethics and authority are no longer objective or absolute. Indeed, everything becomes relative, from the veracity of historical facts to the determination of personhood, when a person or a human being earns the right to live, and everything else in between. This then opens wide the door of our minds, our paradigm, our worldviews for deception or untruths to come in. It is the antithesis, the exact opposite of Romans 12 verse 2 that says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, the first step towards overcoming deception is awareness that it infiltrates your mind first and foremost in order to gain a foothold in your life. It is happening at an accelerated pace, on a scale never seen before, more so in this season than any other. For example, how many of you noticed that Hang Tuan and his friends have been erased out of our children's history books as a local hero? Or Paul at a push for the passing of legislation in America to approve elective abortion, meaning abortion with no medical reason, up to 36 weeks of pregnancy. Or simply sigh upon hearing about rulings forcing schools to have open gender instead of assigned gender, which is male and female, toilets for children. We are all not spared from this, and neither is the church. So to go further into deception, what are its tactics? How deception takes roots? Every deception has a face to it. It doesn't arise de novo, out of nothing. Although on the surface, we often think of it as a selfish act of a human being in trying to push a personal agenda or objective in a devious way. But undergirding all this is a spiritual origin. For the tactics of deception are not new. It is age-old, ancient pioneered and honed through centuries of practice by the father of lies, Satan himself. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus calls those that deceive, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. As much as Jesus is the author of your faith, Satan is the author of all lies and untruths. You will find it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. A revelation of Satan's tactic of deception that brought about the fall of humankind into sin that rings true until today. Let's take a look at it together. If you've got a Bible with you in front of you, or if you see the projection of the verses on the screen, read it together. It's always good to proclaim God's Word and proclaim it from wherever you are, from the rooftops, from the streets, from the back alleys, from everywhere. Let's proclaim the Lord's Word. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, 
You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And not only that, she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. You could see from the progressive reading of the scripture, that deception does not take place all at once. It is subtle. Very often it appears reasonably good and sensible for your well-being and enjoyment. Satan's deception is progressive in nature. First there's doubt, then there's denial, then comes deception, followed by disobedience, and finally destruction as a consequence. First of all, Satan led Eve to question God's word. Did God really say? It always starts off with a planted seed of doubt. But doubt itself is only an inception. It has not metamorphosized into disbelief, which is sin. And it can be snuffed out just like that. We will talk more about this later. After doubt comes denial. Doubt, if allowed to linger, will grow and lead to the denial of truth. You might have noticed that Eve made an attempt to restate the truth in verses 2 and 3. There is this constant battle within our minds, testing God's word against what we experience in reality and what we see around us. It is important at this juncture to know God's promises in His word and to claim them, or else we will fall prey to deception. Once we deny the truth of God's word, we are hated for a full-blown deception regarding everything else that is of God, like His nature and His commands. And if left unchecked, deception leads to falling into sin, when we will go into disobedience. We do what God has forbidden because we don't believe Him anymore. That's sin. It may take some time to reach this point, or it may come quickly. But either way, you can be certain that sin can only lead to the outcome of destruction. Eventually, we will suffer the destructive consequences of sin because of our disobedience. Satan masks his deceptions in beautiful packaging that appeals to our natural senses and desires. Concurrently, he promises that there will be no repercussions for indulging in sinful practices but God clearly says it will end in destruction. Notice that sin only comes in when we disobey, leaving the trio of doubt, denial, and deception as vital areas to focus upon in our fight to overcome deception. So in line with this, we have three important measures when it comes to overcoming deception. And they are, first of all, casting out doubt. Secondly, curbing the disobedience. And thirdly, consider the destruction. Casting out doubt, curbing the disobedience, and consider the destruction. Let's start off with casting out doubt. You might remember I mentioned that doubt, doubt itself is not sin. It is a seed that has been planted that has not yet matured into weeds that will choke up your spiritual life. 
Having doubt is just being skeptical. The occasional skepticism is actually healthy and drives us to seek answers from scripture, from prayer, and from healthy spiritual discussions. In the aggregate of all our spiritual journeys, none of us could say that we have 0% doubt in all matters pertaining to God. Doubt can arise because we lack understanding of God's ways. Isaiah said so, that our ways are not God's ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So to have 0% doubt would mean that we already have the mind of God. Whoa, now that itself is a lie, and to think that would be self-deceiving. It's spiritual arrogance simply. We then think that we know it all, and when that attitude is allowed to stay, we become impervious to God's guidance and obstinate to the Holy Spirit's prompting to become more Christ-like. Our spiritual journey should be such that it humbly echoes the words of the early patriarchs. The more we know of God, the more we realize that we don't know Him. The more we know of God, the more we realize that we don't know Him. We sometimes have a faulty picture of God. That's because of the finite and limited nature of our minds. This will also lead us to a deception of the mind. There can either be an inaccurate or an inadequate picture of God in our minds. An inaccurate picture of God means that you have unwittingly replaced God with an idol in your life. And this can be so real, especially for those in the workplace. Many will seek the blessings of God for the advancement of career or for the success of a business, not realizing they have reduced God to no more than an ATM machine or an ink stamp of approval, seeking Him with the personal agenda under the religious guise. The Israelites upon entering Canaan, the promised land, were no different. God had warned them to remove all foreign culture and idols, not leaving even a trace of them behind. You can find that in Joshua chapter 24. But the people were deceived by the lushness and beauty of the land and the people, leading them to keep the Baals and the Asherahs. Idolatry then became rampant among God's people until it came to a head with Elijah, who prophesied at Mount Caramel and said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, Baal or God. Who, may I ask, are you serving today? An inadequate or incomplete picture of God, however, happens when we have made God out to be puny, too small. We have not allowed God to be God. Doubts when allowed to multiply minimizes God. It chokes our faith like a tight collar, put there by the, our experiences with the natural world. Our minds have become so familiar with the natural and not enough with the supernatural. Take Sarah, for example, the wife of Abraham. Find in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12. She did not believe it was possible at her age to bear a child. We are often like Sarah when it comes to facing the challenges at work, even while serving in church, perhaps, or even at home. The problem becomes bigger than our God, rather than having a huge and mighty God who is the creator of our universe. The psalmist at the beginning of Psalm 121 has things in a proper perspective when he sees the might, the power, the majesty, and the ability of Lord God to help being far greater than that of a puny mountain. 
Wow, that's perspective for you. In our present day, either the inaccurate or the inadequate picture of God due to deception has contributed to the bales in our lives by allowing pre-Christian beliefs to remain once you come to faith and non-Christian beliefs to enter and dominate afterwards. Now, this applies to all of us, as some of us may be new Christians and others Christians for ages. To start with, allowing pre-Christian beliefs to remain once coming to faith is the intermingling of our previous beliefs with the Christian truths, creating a hybrid mindset that hinders the renewal and the transformation of our minds, as directed in Romans 12 verse 2. The result is a mixture of truths and untruths, not white, nor black, but all shades of grey. Now, these Christians want the best of both worlds. Instead, they find the best of neither, but the worst of both. Because we live in a multi-faith and multicultural society, we are more susceptible to this. I remember this very vivid scene of a Bible study and a condescending dialogue among some rich Christian Thai Thais in the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Now, how many of you have watched the movie? Okay, I can almost see all the hands being raised out there. <laughs> no, but for those of you who have watched and raised your hands, you can come forward to the online prayer altar afterwards for repentance. Just kidding, just kidding. It was a good movie. It was really a good movie because it reflected much of what goes on among the Asian community. Although some aspects of it were exaggerated, that one particular scene of the Bible study reminds me of the reality of Christians hanging on to the previous attitudes of race and wealth, and yet desiring to walk the straight and narrow path. Are there any Christian Thai Thais out there that locked in this morning? I'm sure you're nothing like the movie characters, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe in the churches in Singapore or maybe down the road from SIB, but certainly not here, I hope. Then there are also Christians that believe fervently in the naturalistic outworkings of science. Science by itself is fine, but believe in naturalism, which is believed that the material and intangible universe is all there is in our world to the exclusion of the supernatural. It is a denial of the need for faith and weakens the power of prayer. Being trained in the logic and certainty of processes in medical science, as are many of you who are trained in various sciences out there, I struggled for years with this. It wasn't until I learned to not to give up, but to give in to the working of the Holy Spirit that I began to grow in Christ. Deceptions that hinder us have to be cast out in order for us to move ahead in our spiritual growth. Then, allowing alien or non-Christian beliefs to enter and dominate afterwards is the more dangerous of the two because of the subtlety. Now, I'd just like to make a clarification here. Alien beliefs are nothing to do with science fiction or outer space, but are just beliefs inconsistent with the Christian faith. Now, these alien beliefs enter the Christian mind surreptitiously and pervasively. Otherwise, our mind will reject it outright. Then when they're in, they gradually grow and grow and overpower the mind. You know the story of the frog put in the boiling water or the water that, that, that slowly brought to the boil? If you throw the frog in in hot water, immediately it will jump out. It will not stay in. But 
If you put it in cool water, but which is slowly brought to the ball, it will stain and become comfortably cooked when the water begins to boil. Pluralism is like that. It's been quietly adopted amongst this newly coming to faith. It could be a mixture of weak Christian teachings with bits and pieces of Dalai Lamanism, New Age, and so on. And the mantra is, all faiths lead to God. Then, there is also the long-time Christians are taken in by modern relativism. No more absolutes of truth. This waters down our Christian distinction, which is conviction of the Christian truth, Jesus' miracles, redemptive death on the cross, and his resurrection. These are undeniable, unchangeable, and eternal truths. Many university and college students fall prey to this. Having left the protective cocoon of the home church, they encounter a new friendly and accepting environment that is extremely accommodating but challenging to their faith. When the word foundation is not strong and their theology weak, many give up their faith. I thank God for our next generation ministries whose emphasis has always been on this aspect, preparing our young generation for what's ahead. And parents, you know what you should do now if you don't want to lose your children to deception, right? Amen. So how can we overcome this root problem of doubt? First, we need to build a solid foundation upon which we know to be true, the biblical truth, across all generations, especially the younger. Read the Bible regularly. Strengthen your theology. Then you root out all other previous or alien beliefs. Some of the steps would be to seek advice or counselling for those with historical or psychological baggage and are unable to appreciate God as a loving or authority figure. And then to go on a discipleship journey, having a coach or spiritual guide. In the process, it's a matter of giving up self-rights and allowing God's impartation of disciplines upon your life. In SIB, we have our discipleship track. So let me encourage you strongly to go on it if you haven't already done so. And if you have, keep at it. Keep at it. But then there's the third consideration, which is even more important. It's to commit ourselves to the consequence of our Christian beliefs. That is, to walk the talk. If we believe it to be true, then we ought to put our money where our talk is, to put our faith into action and see the outcome for yourself not holding back, not procrastinating, but overcoming. Also, it would be difficult to do it alone. That's why we have one another. We have cells and we have connecting. It's in the togetherness that we find strength, we find courage and support. With the lockdown, we need all the more to be connected. Together, we shall overcome the deception. Amen? Hallelujah. It's only when you journey, you will find the other perspectives not to be true. The deception is revealed. You can believe in faith that the doubts created by deceptions will be rooted out in the long run as we put faith into action. You may still don't quite get it, right? It's like choosing between what comes first, the chicken or the egg. It's a, is it in putting faith into action that will dispel doubts or the removal of doubts first before garnering faith. 
The answer is not in either, but in both together. You just got to make the decision to commit in faith and stick with it. Start walking and living out the faith. An example with Joshua, the disciple of Moses, who lived way before the prophet Elijah. He dealt with this ambivalence among the Israelites by putting this ultimatum, the same one that Elijah put before his God's people. It is recorded in Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Wow, what a declaration. Come on, many of you are out there, you feel that the Holy Spirit even prompting, tugging at your heart when you even read this verse. Let's read it together wherever you are. Come on, let's read it together. One, two. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. We will serve the Lord. Walk the talk. Let your faith be put into action. But this does not only apply to Christians. If you are out there, you're considering Christianity and you find it compelling, but you have some doubts, I would challenge you to make an intentional decision to start walking in faith today. Pray that, pray for Jesus to come into your life on our online altar at the end of my sharing. Someone will be waiting there for you. I can guarantee you on the promises found in the Bible that when you make this commitment in faith, you will see your doubts being cast out one by one and your eyes open to the futility of the deceptions that are around you. Make sure you do it today, for this moment may pass and you may not have another opportunity. Just go into the online prayer link. Amen? So it's okay to have doubts, but let it not linger or fester. Sort it out promptly and you will not go on to disobedience. But how do we curb the disobedience? How do we overcome deception and keep from disobedience? Familiarize yourself with the truth and giving in to He that empowers. First of all, God's Word always leads us into truth. And He warns us of the self-destructive and harmful nature of sin. We have to realize that the Lord's commands are not harsh, but are given in love because He knows that they are for your own good. He also knows that we are constantly in a battle against the great accuser and the father of lies, Satan. So time and again, God equips us with his spiritual armor. This is found in Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 17. Every aspect of it reminds us to stay true and not be deceived. Salvation, righteousness, faith, the Holy Scripture and the Spirit, truth and the Gospel. Every bit of it Reminds us of being protected from head to toe. But have you been to the armory lately? Have you tried on God's armor? Do so if you have not done so. And not only does God prepare us, He fights alongside us and for us. 1 Samuel 17.47 speaks of David saying this, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and it will give all of you into our hands. While David may be small in stature compared to Goliath, with God on his side, he is more than capable at slaying giants. As with David, God fights for you and vindicates you in the face of deception. He wants to protect us from the damage that disobedience and sin will wreak in our lives. 
our disobedience will not be regarded lightly by God. But our obedience to God and His Word becomes our protection and a witness to those around us. Then, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He reminds us of the painful outcome of disobedience because He's both the giver of truth and our protector. People that live righteously and obediently before God can recognize sin and deception and know what is right or wrong. Any form of disobedience or refusal to heed the Holy Spirit in our lives results in stasis in our souls. A feeling of distance that if not connected leads to separation and spiritual decline. Eventually, our spirit becomes hardened to the things of God. At this point, the Lord may use calamity to bring us back into fellowship with Him. Sometimes it might just start with a drizzle or a shower. When it's not heated, then thunderstorms may come. And even if no attention is paid to it, floods may follow that may sweep everything away. But let us not wait for this to happen before we yield to the Lord. Amen? And the third measure is to consider the destruction. You know, in a doctor's practice, it's often very useful to educate a patient with the negative and undesirable consequences of his illness if he does not toe the line. You know, some doctors are very naughty. Soon you will find a healthier and a happier patient though. Likewise, as parents, we too educate, aka nag our children, as to what is unacceptable as destructive behavior in the hope that they will grow up to be model citizens. All done in love, of course. It is not any different when it comes to yielding to the devil's temptation through deception. God wants us to always consider the consequences that will inevitably follow. For example, if an affair in the office looks deceptively inviting, think of the damage it will do to the emotional integrity of your spouse and children. If blowing a few thousand on a hobby or a shopping spree is tempting, Consider the numerous arguments or headaches or sleepless nights that might follow after you had a sudden undiscussed clearance of both couples' saving accounts. When a stagnant amount in the company funds that you have access to seems to call out to you to make an unauthorized temporary borrowing, to bear in mind that if you found out you have no job, a hello or shame over you, and worse still, end up with enforced free food and lodging in a government facility. And that's not a place you want to be in the midst of this COVID infection. Maybe these are two silly examples. How about giving in to the calling of your name by the tub of Hagen Dazs ice cream in your freezer with your fav- favorite flavor in return for a triple cardiac bypass before you reach 40? Every deception, every temptation that you give in, every sin that happens has a consequence. No matter whether the temptations are big or small or deceptively alluring or not, each has its, has its destructive consequences. The last thing Satan wants us to think about is the devastating outcome of sin. That's why he tempts us to minimize our sin by claiming that nobody is perfect or we just made a mistake, it's a small mistake. Don't fall for that lie. We would also have fallen for his deception when we only focus on the goodness of God and not his righteousness, his holiness and justice, which will require that consequences follow sin. Pastor Lee Chu gave a very powerful sermon last week on this. If you have missed it, 
Go look it up on YouTube and listen to it. As Christians, we now live under grace brought about by Jesus that brings forgiveness over and over again. But that grace is not meant to be abused or taken for granted. Romans 6.15 reminds us, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. We should not presume upon this grace and should consider the grief that disobedience brings to our loved ones and to the Lord. God also reminds us in Romans 6.23, a few verses down, that disobedience unto sin results in destruction, but overcoming Satan's deception brings delight and eternal fulfillment. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in conclusion, there is no end to describing deceptions and the manner in which they present. After all, it originates from Satan, and he managed to deceive over a third of the angelic beings to leave God's presence to follow him. However, he is limited in his power, and he knows his final destiny. But he does not accept it. So in the passage of time, his one main objective is to drag as many earthbound humans down with him as much as possible to populate his kingdom through his schemes, subterfuges, and his deceptions. Make no mistake, no matter how Satan's effective Satan's deceptions are, they are limited in their scope and powerless in God's presence. We have seen how his tactics and measures are and those considerations that God has placed upon us to prepare us to overcome these deceptions together through casting out doubts, curbing disobedience, and considering the destruction that follows. Undergirding all these measures is the importance of being immersed in the scripture, submission to the Holy Spirit, and walking the Christian talk in faith. You know, lighthouses are towers with bright lights and foghorns located at important or even dangerous locations. They can be found on rocky cliffs or sandy shoals on land or windswept reefs in the sea and at entrances to harbours and bays. They serve the warm mariners of dangerous shallows and perilous rocky coasts and they help guide vessels safely in and out of harbours. The message of these long-trusted aids to navigation are simple. Either stay away, danger beware, or come this way. In a world of shifting tides, uncertain financial and political climates, with all manners of storm that may be severe or life-threatening appearing out of nowhere, all of us will fall prey at one time or another to doubts and deceptions. They are like the rock-strewn waters that may look deceptively deep but may be proved disastrous to anyone going through without proper guidance. We need a reliable guide that can tell us to stay away, beware, danger, or come this way. Like the lighthouses, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, also called the light of the world, remains as the sole reliable and eternal God that can guide you to your safe harbour while enabling you to overcome deceptions along the way. If you have known Him, remain in Him. If you have not, yield to Him today. The online prayer link is open. Do click on it if you want prayers or to become a Christian while we will sing our closing song. Amen. The weapon may be formed, but
darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to once again speak of your word without fear or favor. We thank you, Lord, that not only have you given us your word, given us your spirit, your son, and your presence in our lives, Lord God. And as we go forth into the workplace, into the various homes that we are located right now, or even into the neighborhood, it may be physically, Lord God, or it may be just over the internet, Lord God. We know we carry your presence, that your people, like the bearers of the ark, carry your presence wherever they go. So, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that as your presence goes out, Lord, that many would know that you are God the Eternal, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. That there is none that the evil one, the accuser, the father of lies, can do to your people. For Jesus himself said, all that my father has given into my palm, no one shall snatch it out likewise. So Lord God, I pray this blessing of protection over every single brother and sister in Christ that's out there, that even as we depart from this time, this holy time, this precious time, spend before you, Lord God, that as we go about doing our own things, Lord God, that the love of the Father go with them, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ enable them, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit guard and watch over them until the time where we shall meet once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, 
Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, dear brothers and sisters, friends, and those of you who may even have made the step to accept the Lord Jesus today. Thank you for joining us this morning. May you have a wonderful week ahead, and may you stay safe and stay well. God bless.